And our sermon text for this morning comes from the Gospel of John chapter 16. Uh, We're going to take a look at verses 16 through 22 today. So if you're able, I'd ask you to please rise again for the hearing of God's holy word. And we'll read from the Gospel of John in Jesus' name. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I mean by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, your word is truth. We thank you for this passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, where you try to tell your disciples that you need to go die and rise again so that they might be redeemed. We thank you that we have the benefit of hindsight and scripture and know exactly what this passage means. Use it to strengthen our faith and ready us for your service, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this passage here in John chapter 16 takes place during an interesting point in the life of Jesus and his disciples. In chapter 13, we have the account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. And by the end of chapter 13, Judas has already been identified as the one who would betray him, and he's left to go and do that work. Chapter 18 tells us about the betrayal in the garden and the arrest of Jesus, and chapter 19 records the crucifixion of Jesus. So even though it covers multiple chapters in the Gospel of John, We're in a very small but highly significant window of time in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus spent time, or spent that time, trying to prepare them for what must soon come. Now, it wasn't as if Jesus had never told the disciples that he needed to suffer, die, and rise again. He had told them multiple times. It also isn't as if Jesus had only told them what needed to happen in riddles. He had actually said it very clearly and very plainly a few times as well. John's gospel doesn't record any of these times, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. So hear this from Matthew chapter 20. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. I really don't know what Jesus could have done to make this more clear to the twelve. And yet we know when the time came for Jesus to be crucified and die, the disciples, they weren't, they weren't ready. And we even find 
that the disciples, when they start hearing reports that Christ has risen again, they doubt that these reports are true. Even though Jesus told them he would rise again. So in this short time that Jesus has left with his disciples, he's trying to get them ready. He teaches them that he is the way and the truth and the life. He he promises them the Holy Spirit. He tells them that the world is going to hate them just as it hated him. And after that, we come to our sermon text where Jesus said, A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Now, without any context whatsoever, that phrase of Jesus almost seems like he is speaking in code, and it feels that way to the disciples because they don't understand at all what he's trying to say. Now, I I may have told you guys this story before. After eight and a half years being your pastor, it's difficult to remember what stories about my life I've told in sermons or not. So if I've told this before, please forgive me and nod and smile anyway. But when I was a little kid, my parents were pretty faithful church attenders. I was there most Sundays worshiping right next to them. And there was a thing I loved when I was in church, and that was uh, trying to say the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and to sing the doxology. I loved those parts of the service. As I look back on my life, I, I think it was actually a little bit of childish pride that made me love these things because they weren't printed anywhere. We didn't have projector screens. We didn't follow a liturgy in our, in our hymnals. So if you were going to say them, you just had to memorize them. And I kind of like to show off that I had them memorized. When I was trying to memorize the doxology, which is what we sing at the end of the service, I understood almost all the words, but I had a small problem. There was this word that made absolutely no sense to me. And so I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what does the word moomah mean? And he stared at me about like Ben is staring at me right now. He had no clue what moomah was. And so my dad being wise, he said, why don't you just wait until we get there and point it out and then I'll tell you what it is. So we get to the end of the service. We're singing the doxology. Praise God from moomah, blessings flow from whom all blessings flow. As you can guess, my dad didn't have any problem explaining to me what the mystery of Mumah was. And once I knew all the words, then I could sing them and uh, be very proud of myself in doing it. I knew those words, but I simply didn't understand it. I needed it explained to me. Jesus said to his disciples, a little while you'll see me no longer, again a little while and you will see me. The disciples, they knew all of these words, but it's almost as if they weren't hearing them. They were having a moomah moment, I suppose. But they didn't ask Jesus about it. Instead, they just talked amongst themselves. For us, these words of Jesus are, are no mystery at all. They're simple. They're easy to understand. But that's because we sit on the opposite side of the crucifixion, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus than the disciples did. We know what was about to happen. The disciples didn't. They didn't understand, even though Jesus had tried to tell them. Jesus knows about their confusion, and he tries to explain it to them further. He said, in a little while, you're going to weep, and you're going to lament, and the world's going to rejoice. It was just a couple of hours before Jesus would be betrayed. And he would soon be crucified and he would die and he would be laid in a tomb. 
At the death of Jesus, the disciples and everyone who had placed their hope in Christ would be crushed. And not just because they had lost a friend, not just at his death, but it would have crushed them because they had hoped in him. You see, remember the disciples and some others, though they didn't fully understand it, they thought that Jesus might be the long-awaited Messiah. They had hoped that he was the Savior God had first promised to Adam and Eve. They had hoped that he would be the son of David that would reign forever, that he would be the prophet like Moses that God would raise up. They had all of these hopes, and at the death of Jesus on the cross, it appeared that all these hopes, everything they had based their life on for the past three years, had fallen apart in one fell swoop. And so they mourned, and they mourned deeply. And at the same time, the devil in the world rejoiced because it looks like or it looked like the plans of God had been thwarted. It looked like the Messiah had been defeated. But Jesus explains, this is not the end. Their sorrow and their mourning and their pain would come to an end, and not only that, it would be turned into joy. And again, it would only be a little while until that happened. But there's this thing about suffering and pain. When you're in the middle of it, it never feels like it's a short time, does it? I remember getting my wisdom teeth pulled a few years ago. Should have been done in my late teens because they didn't really fit in my mouth, but it wasn't, so I got them taken care of when we moved back here to Sydney. Three of these teeth, they came out just fine, no worries. I got the Novocaine and they pulled right out. The third tooth, or the fourth tooth though, the dentist yanked and yanked and yanked and yanked. I got Novocaine two or three times to keep the area dead. That's how long of a period of time we're talking about where he's trying to extract this tooth from my mouth. Eventually, he ends up deciding that he needs to break it into pieces, and they pull it out piece by piece. And when the final piece comes out, I get to find out why it didn't work very well. One of the roots of my wisdom teeth went down and then went 90 degrees. They were just yanking and yanking. Needless to say, when the Novocaine wore off, I was a hurting unit, but thankfully the doctor prescribed some pain medication that helped take care of it. Once that finally kicked in and I was feeling pretty good, I realized I was hungry. I hadn't really eaten all day. Couldn't eat hard food, so I thought, let's go with yogurt. Yogurt sounds great. It's not crunchy. I don't have to chew it. I can just eat it. I had a bite of yogurt, and as soon as that yogurt hit the socket where the tooth had been, I was in agony. It was the kind of pain where you can't see straight anymore. You can't think. And it felt like it went on forever. In reality, I imagine that pain from the yogurt only lasted five or ten minutes, but it felt like hours of agony while I was waiting for it to go away. You see, that's the way suffering is in our life so many times. When you're in the midst of pain and suffering, it feels like it's going to go on forever. It feels like there's no hope. It feels like everything is, is lost. And at the death of Jesus, that's what the disciples were going through. It would only be a couple of days until Christ would be raised from the dead to new life, and their suffering would turn into joy, but in the moment, it would not have felt like that to them. Jesus compares the pain uh, they're going through and the joy they would experience to that of a woman giving birth. 
Now, I can't pretend to understand what that experience is like. I have, I have no idea. But I was there to observe the, both the birth of Seth and Amelia. And I'll say, I think that if I went through what Gretchen went through in giving birth to Seth, I don't think we would have had Amelia. Because I don't think I'd sign up to go through that pain again. The pain and suffering and agony of childbirth are extreme, or at least that's, that's how it looked. But there's something about childbirth that's sort of, it's sort of like magic, or probably more correctly, I should say, something about childbirth is a gracious gift of God. Because I watched Gretchen suffer through childbirth, and as soon as she held Seth in her arms, and Emmy as well, it was as if that suffering and pain never happened. Or at least like they didn't matter anymore. Like they were insignificant. I don't know that I've ever seen Gretchen more happy or joyful in her life than when she got to hold those two little babies in her arms after giving birth to them. Somehow that joy is so complete that it wipes out the suffering of what has come before. In the same way the disciples' pain would be reversed when they saw Jesus alive again. But Jesus told them this was not the end of their separation from him. He had to go to the Father at the ascension. There would be pain and suffering with the ascension as well, but not like there was at the crucifixion because the disciples would not be left alone. Jesus had promised to send them a helper, the Holy Spirit who would guide them into all truth. And we today remain in the same place as the disciples after the ascension. Jesus may not be physically present for us like he was for the disciples before the ascension. That doesn't mean he's abandoned us. Christ has promised to be with us wherever two or three are gathered in his name. And guess what? That means he's here with us today. He's promised to be present when his word is read and taught and sung. He is here with us. He's promised to be there in the waters of holy baptism, not to wash dirt from our bodies, but to wash away sin, something that Liam's going to get to experience in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to get to witness. Jesus is present in the Lord's Supper. He is, his body and blood are in, with, and under the bread and the wine, and he is there to deliver everything that he accomplished with his perfect and sinless life, his all-atoning death and his resurrection. And today, we also are blessed to go to the table and receive. And as the presence of Christ comes, he still brings with him true joy today. We need to keep in mind, joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is not based on our life circumstances. It doesn't change with the weather. Joy is something that's outside of our lives' worries. It's a state of being offered by God because of the finished work of Christ. And true joy can only come by knowing that your sins have been forgiven, by knowing that your relationship with God has been restored, and by knowing that your eternity is secure in him. That's exactly what God offers to us in word and sacrament. So here again, the joy offered in God's word, and believe in it, trust in it, rejoice in it when we see it offered to Liam at his baptism. And remember what God gave to you in yours. And cherish it as you receive it in your very hands at the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for this time to gather in your house. 
Thank you for the blessing of the church family that we have. And thank you for the promise of joy that surpasses even the situations of life. Lord, there is time when suffering comes to us and pain at times doesn't feel like it'll ever stop. But it does. The one thing that never ends is your love for us and your promises. May we rest in them. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.